0: Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel Multiverse. I'm Elias
1: Rosner. And I'm Jana Hill. And get out your gavels and your stupid puffy wigs, because we're passing the judgment of X. Excelsior. Boy, Elias, it's been, it's a been, been like a while. Yeah, it's been a couple episodes since we've talked about X-Men stuff. Yeah, this
0: episode for listeners was supposed to come out actually uh about a month ago but we couldn't record it until the first issue of legion of x dropped which took forever it took a couple of months yeah so by the time every other series seemed to have two maybe even three episodes three issues out legion of x finally released its first oversized issue uh to the masses which i don't know why they decided to hold it back that long I guess they just had the paper shortage affected that one book significantly more than the rest.
1: Only you could turn a sci fi story called Destiny of X into a story about a paper shortage. Hey, sometimes destiny involves complex
0: supply chain issues where the <laughs> logging is, is backed up and then the paper making is backed up and then everything's stuck at ports and then trucks and then uh, capitalism is falling apart.
1: I also happen to know that you've got a uh, uh, log logging on the mind because you're finally watching Twin Peaks. I am. I am. I'm finally watching it.
0: I've set myself the I'm watching one episode a night. No more, even if I want to. One episode, which is it's it's nice having something kind of that I can return to that each episode actually feels complete. As opposed to watching a CW
1: show where I'm like, I could watch six episodes and not remember anything that happened. Yep, I I like old TV for that reason. But we're not talking about old TV and we're not talking about paper mills. We're talking about Krakoa, the island that walks like a man. (laughs) I don't
0: don't quite think it's it's bipedal right now.
1: Yeah, because he's sitting down, but he could walk like a man
0: if he wanted to. Maybe. I I thought he would walk more like a tree. You know, 10, 15, 20 legs all at once, kind of like a scuttering centipede.
1: What you're really reminding me is that uh, Krakoa and Groot have yet to duel.
0: Ooh,
1: ooh! Guardians versus Krakoa. I feel like uh, this is a monkey's paw, and I take back the wish. What is Elias? What's your temperature so far on the destiny of X? The the new era of Marvel's X Men. It is primarily, mm,
0: I want to say, seventy eight degrees Fahrenheit,
1: maybe eighty. That's pretty hot.
0: Yeah. If I mean if you were to ask me what the temperature was when when Hawksbox came out I would have said we're in the triple digits.
1: Yes. 100%. So for a
0: relative sense it is a lot cooler but it's not like, you know, a crisp some uh spring day. It's uh, it's it's getting to summer. It's getting to the the hot zone.
1: I kind of agree with you but I'm really liking the uh, new infusion of energy that uh the X-line has gotten. For sure. Like um like Excalibur was like really uh, I, my attention on it was waning. I, I, I kind of felt directionless and like it was uh, kind of drifting from adventure to adventure. But mm-hmm. Knights of X is really exciting. If if, if they hadn't renamed it and relaunched it, if just the next issue had started this story, uh, maybe it would have been as effective a tone shift, but I think actually rebooting the series really helped.
0: Yeah, it gave it a, a better direction, kind of a central node to revolve around that is different than Excalibur. Like, it, it made sure that we everyone knew this is going in a different direction instead of just coming back and, and kind of slightly changing things
1: I, i've also been enjoying um i feel like there was enough of a uh, in comics it's so rare that you get like a, a real end of a chapter p- turn of the page mm-hmm. but hickman leaving obviously was so uh, earth-shaking that now they're they can finally spend time's reconciling with like weird shit from the Hickman era.
0: Yeah, it's weird thinking we're now in the post Hickman era instead of just being like phase 2 and Hickman's hiding.
1: I, That's how I, I've been thinking about it basically. <laughs> I actually think this is like an incredibly powerful thing to the story because I've obviously, if you've listened to a single episode of this podcast, you know, I'm very invested in the Krakoa story. It's my favorite thing that Marvel's doing in any medium right now. Uh, We'll see if that uh, remains the case when Marvel Midnight Suns comes out for PC. Oh, God. (laughs) But uh, in the meantime, the Krakoa books are my favorite thing. And it's just what X-Men are now. It's like a... Right. It it wasn't that Hickman was doing this really cool story and then everything's going to go back afterwards. It's just like, yeah, and we can never go back. This is what mutant stories are. we, We better
0: not go back. That is the that is what I'm feeling right now. Marvel better not like backtrack on this because they got cold feet now that Hickman isn't there to like hold it to the fire
1: oh yeah i mean th- these things could also turn on a dime right like one shitty event story and then the line getting directionless for a month or two and suddenly you'll be like yeah it's time to go back to the xavier school in bedford
0: Ah, uh, i don't i don't we've had enough
1: boarding schools uh, and be, enough. yeah and besides give me the school story on krakoa krakoa is better it is <laughs> i was gonna say we could
0: we could get uh have you ever read Diane wynne Jones's The Chronicles of Crestomancy? I have not. It's, I mean, it's entirely magic, but like that kind of boarding school, fun, British, weird stuff. You never know what people are going to get up to. They walk into a, a door and suddenly they're at the top of a tower that they can't escape. That could be fun. Sure. I,
1: there's a lot of towers in Krakow that I get lost in. Um, I also have weirdly been pretty excited about, um, Psy Spurrier writing, what I think is supposed to be an ongoing, is just, like, feeling a lot steadier than that mini series was.
0: Yes. I'm saving my thoughts till later. Sure, sure,
1: before we get into the, um, the craziness of the specifics.
0: I was more tepid on that series now. Like when Way of X was first announced, I was all in, and then by the end I was all out. Uh, so Legion of X had a lot has a lot to do to win me back.
1: Oh boy! Well, yeah, we'll talk about that in the uh, after the break, is I think when we're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. There also, um, there was an issue of New Mutants that was one of my favorite issues of X Men at all.
0: New Mutants feels the most like a classic comic book, both in terms of structure and feel, and also publishing. And I really appreciate that they didn't relaunch it that they kept both the numbering and the name and it's kind of just changed hands. It's kind of like a, um, not an anthology series, but kind of like what we want that Marvel to do, like have one book where writers can kind of experiment. And if they get a nice long run there, that's great. But one that doesn't have to constantly be, you know, churning over in terms of the title.
1: Something that I am very sensitive to in superhero comic publishing is, like, when I don't really feel like there's a reason for your series, you've got uh, Peter Parker Spider-Man and Web of Spider-Man, and I'm, like, I don't Mm -hmm. know the difference between those two things.
0: Yeah, I don't think there ever was other than we need more Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, I just, I don't know why, but as a reader of comics, that always uh, makes me kind of irked, and... This era of X-Men, I think, has done a really good job at, like, creating these uh, strong feelings of identity, and what's so cool about the New Mutants book is it's covering anything that could be considered a New Mutants story, and that could be original uh, people on the team, or people who were on the team in a different era, or just, like, people who are new to being mutants. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, it's not a book about Cyclops. Cyclops is not a main character in New Mutants. Thank God. Uh, Because he ain't one. He's an X-Men. And that's where you find him. And just, like, yeah. And that way, also, when you want to go outside the bounds of what those things are, like, when you want to put Sink and Laura Kinney on the main X-Men team, like, alongside uh, Rogue and Jean Grey. Mm Mm-hmm. And that you you feel the promotion a lot more than if every time a writer wrote X-Men, they just like throw in a bunch of random characters that they like, which is kind of what was happening for the last 10 years. And that can be fun,
0: especially if there's a character that you like and you haven't seen in forever.
1: It could be fun, but I I feel like the strongest is when it's got a strong sense of identity. Like um, when Kieran Gillen was writing Uncanny X-Men, I guess that was almost 10 years ago now. It was 10 years ago. I think it was in 2012. Oh, wow. Uh, around the time Avengers vs. X-Men was happening. Yeah,
0: that that's around 2012.
1: Here in, in in Uncanny X-Men, he has, like, the extinction team, and it was all about how um, nobody on the team considered themselves to be a villain, but all of them could be construed as villains. Mm. And Cyclops and Storm's place on that team was, like, really uh, raised an interesting question about their motivations at the time because that they were all with Magneto and magic... And danger and Namor, <laughs> all care right, all characters who are like uh, pretty morally dubious had often serve as villains to other characters. Uh huh. And so when Cyclops and Storm are looking around and they don't recognize any of their friends, they have that that shakes their foundation. They have to question whether or not they're in the wrong. Ooh, and,
0: that's right, a good concept. Yeah, that's a good premise.
1: If you if you have a strong sense of identity in your superhero comic. Um, I feel like that does a lot of storytelling lifting than when it's like a week anything mm-hmm. goes type of thing. Or worse yet, back to basics. Gag me with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Comic con, it's back to
0: basics. I kind of wish that they would. Did they ever release like X Men back to basics as the like the title of a book?
1: Almost certainly in the color era no no in like the extraordinary x-men era when jeff lemire was writing them oh i forgot that he wrote some bunch of x-men stuff um and there was also the what's the guy from all the cw shows mark uh, guggenheim yeah mark guggenheim he also had a back to basics thing and i'm sure that was the name of a trade um yeah it was probably like the first one of x-men blue yeah, I, and the color ones now, I don't even, I can't even tell apart. But X Men Red has a really strong sense of identity now. It's about the goings on on the red planet.
0: Yeah, that's, I didn't put that together originally. And then as they, you know, the series started going, I went, oh, that works so much better than just
1: arbitrarily calling it, you know, a color. I looked it up. Mm hmm. X Men Gold Volume 1 is indeed titled Back to Basics. Ooh. That is the title of Ooh, the
0: entry. Oh boy!
1: Yeah, not yeah. a, not a good era. G- gave us one good. Mo- the only good moment that gave us is when um, Colossus tried to put the wedding ring on Kitty's finger, and then she phased through him. Uh, oh, the fake fake out weddings piss me off. Fake out weddings piss me off, but the panel of he tried the ring just like not going on her finger because she's a ghost is so funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he can marry <laughs> her, her uh, his sister. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I know. what get me shipping. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be here all day.
0: I was gonna say,
1: like Colossus. At this
0: point, he's sitting on the council. He's doing his Colossus things in Russia. Who knows?
1: He's he's got a beard. That's all that matters. Hey, the beard is very distracting. I see it and I forget all the women he's murdered. Uh, what? He Colossus has been murdering random women. In in the pages of X Force. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. he's being mind controlled by his evil brother and everything yeah but but like yeah well and like uh i actually think that they're doing a pretty good job making it clear that this like represents colossus like have always having a problem with how he treats women um Mm. and just like taking it to its extreme points because of the supervillain involvement but that's like good superhero storytelling to me yeah. I guess uh, it's too bad we have to fridge all these ladies for it. Yeah. Well, but th- well, they're mutants, they can come back. I was going to say it's it's sort of kind of yeah, it's still not great. I, I the other by having such strong world building. I read um there was a Captain America one-shot a couple months ago that of out of which the two Captain America books are spinning out of. Did you read that one-shot?
0: Well, um me no, I think I've I'm still behind
1: on that one. That one shot represents the opposite of everything I think uh, X-Men books are doing well. Because in that one shot, it was just like uh, Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson, who are both Captain America, are just like fighting some villains and shouting phrases like they're in Marvel versus Capcom. <laughs> you sure they're not? I, I was not. I actually suspect that there are Marvel writers who uh, just write their Marvel vs. Capcom fanfic into their scripts. I have reason to believe, <laughs> but there was no sense of world building in that captain America. I just like, uh, everything, it just took place in America and captain America was like doing hero stuff. And mm. there was nothing like the hold on to. Whereas in like X-Men red, I feel like we're always seeing deep conversations about alien cultures. It's like the most high concept, provocative sci-fi stuff.
0: Like it's actually thinking about the world and having the characters think about thinking about the world.
1: Yeah, it feels like people in a world. Whereas the the more generic Captain America adventures don't seem connected to anything, let alone contemporary America. Well, you got you got to punch
0: the Baron Zemo and the the vampire Nazi.
1: Yeah, and like the fucking snake guys, the Serpent Society. He like a. Uh, Oh, yeah. Caps got a rose gallery, but they can do... And that's another thing that uh, current X-Men books are, like, uh, developing underdeveloped cult classic villains or bringing in totally new guys, uh, making them really memorable. Mm-hmm. Dr. For Stasis sure. is super cool.
0: I'm trying to remember who he is. He's one of the uh, Orcus guys, right?
1: Yeah, he uh, is the one who uh, is, like, wanted to terraform Mars, and he's jealous, so he went crazy. Oh, yeah. That's a got great... A-
0: that's Super Dr. Stasis? Villain. I thought that was the president of the company, and then Dr. Stasis was someone else.
1: Well, if I'm mixing up these great new villains, I apologize. But even uh, we had horticulture, and uh, there was that fun alien casino that got uh, teased out. Oh, yeah. We're going to be seeing more of that. Uh, Knights of X is doing really good world building. Legion of X is doing really good world building, which I'll talk about why it's working for me later. X Men Red is literally building a world
0: that one is going to be so weird. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how Mars kind of evolves and changes in the next I don't know, 2 or 3 years.
1: Oh, we'll we'll be talking about X-Men Red in the uh, second half yeah. of the show today, but I guess we should uh before taking a break, I wanted to spotlight one issue in particular that I don't think we're going to get a chance to talk about otherwise. Oh yeah. Go for it. And that is Giant-sized X-Men Thunderbird number 1. What a great one-shot. Yeah, you were a fan as well. We haven't even spoken about yeah. this. I and mean, Usually we talk about it uh, before we get to the podcast.
0: Uh, yeah, that that's true. No, I I really liked it. I read it and it was, one, the art was really nice. It wasn't like, you know, trying to go big and grand. It was classic and colorful and... I don't know, it f- it felt like we were getting, maybe not an origin story, like, an origin story, or origin story, but... So for those who don't know, the Giant Size X-Men Thunderbird was a one-shot, came out, what, a month ago? Uh,
1: it month? came out on May 4th,
0: so about yeah, a month May before fourth. recording. Um, And it featured the until-recently-deceased X-Men member Thunderbird, and we've talked about the issue before. Um, He... Famously died in the first issue of X Men. Was that the the Lee and Kirby X Men I mean, issue or the no, second?
1: He, the very first issue of uh, Claremont. He dies at the end of the issue. Okay, and so, he's introduced the issue before, so it's the second issue ever existing.
0: Yeah, so he's had basically no issues ever, and this issue is entirely focused on him, on him post resurrection, and you know, it's a. We got so much nice character development for him, as well as, you know, where is he from? What's his home like? What are his family like? And it's just full of these really nice moments that, by the end, I'm like... I could read a miniseries or more with this Thunderbird, but he's not like this perfect Paragon character. He's complex. He's got problems. He's got issues. uh, And he's got a really fun supporting cast that I would like to see more of.
1: Yeah. um, So I just wanted to mention that that art that you are so fond of was uh, by David Cutler. Mm Mm-hmm who is, I believe, indigenous, although I I don't recall the specifics. Um, And the issue was written by uh, AEW wrestler Nyla Rose, who I'm fortunate enough to have seen an action once live before. And Nyla Rose rules and is a great Twitter follow, just like very funny and horny on main on Twitter, (laughs) usually at other wrestlers, uh, to which has uh, in my house, we're just yelling, Nyla, this is sexual harassment, but whatever. It's funny. (laughs) It's all in good fun. It's Um, all in good fun. And Nyla Rose also uh, has indigenous heritage, which is, uh, seemed to play into uh, the issue a lot. I feel like, I'm trying to thread this needle carefully. I feel like there's been a lot of um, examples of Marvel hiring somebody with a particular voice to write a story and then really like tokenizing their experience. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about this issue is not only was it all about like Thunderbird's connections to. Um, uh, to to like his heritage and real life stuff, but it was also his connection to the Marvel Universe because he fought this random ass villain named Edwin Martinek. Elias, do you know anything about Edwin Martinek? No. I didn't know anything about Edwin Martinek either, so I uh, did some digging because uh, he mentioned that he had a history with Thunderbird, and it turns out that he has appeared basically in one issue ever, and that was X Force number negative one in 1997. <laughs> Okay. And what X, four, and what the negative one issues were, it was like, tell a prequel story before this character became a superhero. And this story focused on James Proudstar, Warpath, who's the younger brother of Thunderbird. Mm. So it was one of the rare stories that got to show Thunderbird in action, because it was him and his brother growing up, dealing with this villain, who's basically a racist cop, but is also a cyborg werewolf, because it was 1997. Uh, cyborg werewolves. I just love the thought of uh, Nyla... I pictured Nyla Rose, and she's growing up, and she's a real confused kid, because I I don't think she's transitioned yet. And then she reads this comic, X-Force Negative One, and then gets to write, like, a sequel when she's uh, an adult and a pro wrestler.
0: That's a great story. And it was co-written by Steve Orlando.
1: Yes, we should give credit to Steve Orlando.
0: And I usually don't like Steve Orlando's writing. Just... It's not for me, but I think he did a very good job of shepherding Nyla through this process uh, and working together. Kick-ass
1: script, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: The panel, the layouts were uh, were
0: perfect. I don't have much more to say about it (laughs) in the specifics, I guess.
1: Uh, I guess I also just need to mention that uh, this issue also introduced um, Thunderbird's grandmother, uh, Proudstar, who's never been uh, portrayed before in a comic. This is her first appearance. And she's just a cool old lady who also loves wrestling. <laughs> and I think that's rad. I just like, uh, I really feel like uh, the wrestling being a pretty big part of it. But like, this unlocked a big part of who Thunderbird is internally, not just like the, the image he projects. Yeah. And it didn't only have to use melodrama to get at it. It also used like world building and quieter between the lines character moments, as well as like cyborg werewolves. Well, you gotta have a cyborg werewolf in there. That's can't, the secret. You can't to not. A, it's the secret to a good comic. <laughs> More cyborg werewolves. More. We. I will go looking for you some cyborg werewolves from you. Uh, but in the meantime, you want to take a break? Yeah, we, should, we probably should do that. And when we come back, we're gonna get like really into it uh, of all the new Destiny of X series. We are stoked.
0: Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And welcome back. We are here, and we are debuting a brand new segment that's actually an old segment, uh, but we've given it a new name, and I know Jaina does not really like naming, but I think this is a much better name for it especially now that we are at a ridiculous number of books welcome to the judgment
1: of x excelsior i guess i don't like naming stuff well too bad that's that's what i was talking about before the break right if the title of your comic is just web of spider-man i'm like what is he like surfing google or something is he on bing (laughs) and if he ain't then i don't know what your book is about yeah. Give me a descriptive title. Judgment <laughs> of X is pretty descriptive, though. Yeah, and from
0: we're no longer really keeping the baseline, considering 80% of the books on this list have ended. But it's still fun to see what what's going on, where they sit. Uh, for those who do not know, who may have missed it, or are new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, we used to monthly, and now quarterly-ish are looking at every single X book that has come out since the Jonathan Hickman published issue one of House of X, Powers of Ten. Uh, And we rank them from worst to best. And this list is ever growing. Uh, It only includes miniseries and uh, full series that feature the Krakoa era. So there were a couple, uh, like, one shots haven't factored in and that kind of stuff. Uh, And there are a couple, like, edge cases here that we'll get to, but
1: this sort of yeah. rules pedantry is the, what we do for fun. Yeah.
0: I feel like if you're a Marvel fan, you
1: really like pedantic rules. <laughs> uh, you'd have to, because otherwise what's the point of Thor? <laughs> he can only
0: transform if he hits his stick on the ground three times. If it's twice, it won't work,
1: but yeah, only right. between
0: that... the years of 1973 and 1978.
1: <laughs> That was really, uh, you had a, the bank, you had that ready to go. Yeah, thank you. I don't know if any of it's accurate. So, I, And it's worth mentioning the list. Um, so I don't think we're, we're not going to go into any detail whatsoever, have any conversation about any book that's not happening right now in the Destiny of X era. So that's yes. mostly new series, many of which feature quite high up on my list. But there's also a couple of ongoings that didn't change their numbering. And we, we can address how those are going to as we yeah. go through it. If they make any major shifts. Yeah, and I, a couple have, and uh, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about specifics. Uh, there are 33 X titles on our list, um, and we are going to start at the bottom, and we are going to, uh, what's the rule we like to do, Elias, when um, we get to the person who has it in the highest place is when we discuss it? Yes.
0: Yeah. We, we've we cribbed this from the DC3 cast. Uh, they call it, we'll get to that later. Uh, so we will be getting to it later. Uh, We also aren't counting the X-Men Unlimited series that releases on Marvel Unlimited because even though that series is firmly in the canon and features Krakoa-era mutants doing Krakoa-era stuff, unlike X-Men Legends, which is primarily past stories being told by past creators, we just haven't been reading it so much uh, and it's kind of harder to to discuss. So we've just kind of left it off. This is just the print stuff that's miniseries or longer
1: hell yeah um yeah. do you want to start at the aptly uh titled bottom of our list because i think we both have the same series at the bottom
0: yep so starting at number 33 i have fallen angels
1: i too have fallen angels
0: and at number 32 i've got wolverine i too have wolverine
1: so Wolverine's is still ongoing though so we should uh pause for a moment
0: yeah to be fair, I missed issue 20 and have not tracked it down yet, so I was very confused when Deadpool showed back up. <laughs> um, but 21 did not do much for me on its own anyway.
1: My criticism my my biggest criticism of the Wolverine series has been what a missed opportunity is to define who Logan is and what his life is like on Krakoa.
0: Mhm.
1: And uh, that just, like, hasn't changed. It just continues to be, like, marginally okay to not very interesting superhero comic ideas um, that feel weirdly divorced from the rest of the comics thematically and only unified, like, stylistically, which makes it even weirder.
0: Yeah. It basically feels like X-Force Light featuring Wolverine, uh, and it still hasn't found an identity that makes me actually care too much about it. But it's Wolverine, so it's going to sell and it's going to stay.
1: And speaking of uh, X-Force, I have that at number 31. Oh, I have X-Corp on
0: number 31.
1: Huh. Uh, Fair enough. At um, 30, I have X-Men and Fantastic Four.
0: Okay. At 30, I have Legion of X.
1: Wow. So we're not going to talk about that for a while. Yeah. Fan. Yeah. I
0: think that's going to be one of the most... This, this and these next few are going to be probably the most surprising for you.
1: Uh, you say surprising. I, I'm sure certain you have Marauders down in this section. But at my number 29, <laughs> I've got a Children of the Atom. Uh, at my 29, I have Way of X. At
0: 28, I have a new series on this list, The Excellent. Oh, interesting. Um, at number 28,
1: I have... Uh, X-Lives and Deaths of Wolverine. Um, well, moving on then, at 27, I have Giant Size X-Men. At 27,
0: that's where I've got X-Force. So, maybe we want to talk about X-Force here, since it was so far down your list and so far up on my list, comparatively.
1: Uh, sure, yeah. So, you think X-Force is working a lot better than Wolverine?
0: Yeah, it's just, it's been working these last couple issues, I've, it's... It's had a focus that it hasn't had in a while, Um, and I mean, I'm kind of a sucker for Cerebro Helmet coming alive and eating people's brains. I don't know. I just found that so charming.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was like... But uh, this is all missed opportunity stuff, just like Cerebro coming alive and trying to kill them was the premise of Danger. Well, yeah, Danger's also there in Wolverine. I mean, that's... I I cannot deny that, but like... uh... I I want to know more about what Sage is up to. I feel like uh, Sage is a character begging for some characterization, and she's gotten zero of it in like twenty five mm. issues.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: This is also I know a lot of people hate Hank McCoy, but this is just like hey, I, for us few Hank McCoy fans, this has been pretty rough. He's just like there's no end in sight. He's just like an asshole.
0: Was it in this or in the annual? The annual also really helped me put this up. The annual wasn't written by Ben Percy. Yeah. Um, was the annual where we got Petulant Beast on the council banging his fist?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. And that, and that was... Uh, who wrote that issue? That was a... Nadia fresh... Shamas. Nadia Shamas. That issue was excellent. I mean, it was just like a fun, inconsequential X-Force mission, but the characterization was so much sharper. It had mm-hmm. like a, a wit to it.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: A buoyancy. Yeah, uh, so I got X Force real low. Yeah, X Force just happened to
0: to float its way up. It might float its way back down. It it is the book that I think will end up moving the most a lot in this area.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, my number twenty six is the X Lives and Deaths of Wolverine.
0: All right, so th- I think we should talk about that one because we haven't. I think we kind of touched on it. No, we have. We have to. We've never talked about this on the podcast. Oh, we haven't. I don't think so. Oh, yeah, we haven't. Oh, boy. So, yeah, right. X-Lives and Deaths. Oh, no, no, we did. We did, but it was midway through. It was a while ago.
1: I get, We checked in on that it was coming out, but we haven't criticized it.
0: For sure. So, for those who may not have heard, there was a break in as the X-Line got rearranged and X-Lives and X-Deaths were two series that are one that really were two series, sadly. Um, we decided to put them as one because that's how it was built. Um, I personally found the X Deaths side more interesting than the X Lives side, which was better drawn. <laughs> which is a sad distinction to to make. But the whole thing was kind of okay.
1: The design in X Deaths I didn't like at all. Like all, yeah. all the technology stuff was it completely could not stay in my brain.
0: Yeah, it it was unfocused, and it was it had all the problems of. Wolverine and X-Force, but it at least felt like a story that was being told for the Krakoa era, but it all the goodwill that the first couple issues had were pissed away by the end, especially when the series didn't really interact
1: much. Yeah, there was yeah. it did not feel together at all. I mean, so my thing on X-Death of Wolverine is, when it started I was very excited. I thought that this was a much more promising start than any Percy X-Men book has had so far.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure.
1: And the idea of going back and exploring like uh, different eras of Wolverine's life is a unique opportunity for to do something that's not really been done before. Mm -hmm. Um, Showing them all parallel like this and like really making it a timeline. is not something that the comics themselves have tried to do. And I liked the time travel days of future past aspect of it. And I really liked that it seemed like we were finally going to uh, get like a new Omega Red was going to get a new lease on life as a character. (laughs) Because I was like, why is Omega Red time traveling to kill Professor X and do all this evil stuff? And then by the end of it, his motivation was that he was working for Mikhail Rasputin and he's just a bad guy. And they're Russians together.
0: Well, there was also all the stuff of he felt betrayed by Krakoa and, and the promises he was made because of stuff that happened in X-Force and yada, yada, yada. And I found that part at least somewhat compelling. But yeah. Yeah.
1: But then it just ends with kind of a uh, Wolverine says in one book, he's like, hang on, I got to go beat up the bad guys. And then he goes and he steals back the Cerebro sword, which is something that's been like teased at for a really long time. And it ends up not being worth much. it It's
0: just a sword.
1: It's just like a sword. I think it was what was allowing them to do the time travel evil.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: But that wasn't very clearly or dramatically explained. It was just kind of flatly uh, inferred.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of the problems with X-Lives in particular was a lack of explanations that were clear.
1: And just like a lack of like a sense of drama because everything was kind of presented with the same tone. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I, I wouldn't perk up and say, oh, this is a big moment. He got back the Cerebro sword or he saved Charles Xavier in the past. It was just like,
0: yeah, it just kind of happened. Yeah.
1: You know, just stuff happening at you. And um, yeah, the villain characterization stuff. I really, I guess the reason why it is, is in the place it is on my list is um, it, kind of set up some interesting stuff that maybe another writer will pick up in years and Omega Red and Mikhail Rasputin and Wolverine's secret history can all get more explored. Mm-hmm. But like, it, the it, it, the end really bummed me out. Bummer of an ending.
0: It didn't have the same kind of impact that uh, we all thought it would at the beginning, especially with all the Moira stuff. It felt like they just this was how they were shuffling her off after the promise of Inferno. And that boils my blood a little bit.
1: Yeah, although I'm happy now to leave her on a shelf for a while. Yeah,
0: well, that's why X Force is above it, actually, because because I felt like they wasted Moira in the book. They wasted this opportunity to do something interesting here and transition to the next era.
1: The reason I have X Force lower is um, X Lives and Deaths of Wolverine only uh, made that mistake of like farting out of momentum once, whereas X Force does that every two issues. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, Ben Percy. I'm really sorry, Ben Percy. You know what? His Ghost Rider, I'm getting into it. I was like, I owe myself to like, uh, the the first couple issues were a little slow, but I'm starting to dig it. Okay. So well, maybe I'll like a Percy book. I'm really trying. My number 26 was Children of the Atom. Uh, my number, yeah, well, yeah. X Lives and Deaths. So Children yeah. of the Atom, number uh, 25.
0: What's your, what's your 25?
1: My 25 is Empire X-Men. Hmm. Uh I have giant size at twenty-five. Um at number twenty four I have Way of X. Ooh.
0: Uh my twenty four is X Men Fantastic Four. Um that's interesting.
1: My twenty three is X
0: Corp. Okay. My twenty three is the excellent. Uh we should talk about this. We'll talk about it very briefly. The only reason it's here on this list uh is because it's a new X series and it's we, we think it might end up having some ties to Krakoa. Uh, we are not quite sure. You know, Juggernaut didn't really have many ties to Krakoa, but it's still on the list.
1: Well, I, but that was something I liked about Juggernaut is it kind of defined itself as um, his un- inability to get to Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So The Excellent is basically
0: the return of Peter Milligan and Mike Allred's The Ecstatics who was itself the renaming and spinoff of, I think it was
1: X-Force? Yeah, the first couple issues of that series were, the issues were sold under X-Force, but now most of the time the trades call, are called ecstatics.
0: Yeah, where it's basically a dig at reality TV superheroes in just the weirdest, most Peter Milligan way possible. Uh, it was a cult book. Uh, you either loved it or hated it, and boy, did people hate it.
1: When so, if you go back and read it, it like seems legitimately countercultural when you're reading it. It's like kind of crazy that a corporation would publish it. Mm-hmm. The its politics are fucking wild. It really doesn't like Princess Diana, for example.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't get that.
1: <laughs> or just like is using her to try to make a statement about how the media regarded Princess Diana. But like, uh, Ecstatics is a weird book, and I like it academically more than I enjoy it. If you would get my meaning.
0: Yes, I'm with you on that.
1: And so the excellent seems like uh, this is how it always seems to me when like uh, they're doing like more Sandman stuff. And I'm like, OK, but this isn't Sandman. Sandman was like a series of 10 paperback 60 issues.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's weird having it returned. But I, I mean, I'm digging returning to the just pure nonsense of these characters.
1: I think it would also work better for me if it was all out already and I could read it at my own pace. Because, like, mm. month to month, I completely forget every single character and what they were up to. Yeah. And then the yeah. surrealism just, like, kind of washes over me and then I forget it again. I think if I could read it at my own pace, maybe I could uh, figure, I could parse it better.
0: Yeah. I mean, a couple issues and I'm starting to get the, the rhythm down. But definitely the from issue one to two... That was a rough one. Yeah. yeah. So what do you have at number 22? At number 22 I have Juggernaut. Ooh. This is where I have uh Marauders by Steve Orlando.
1: Okay. That's not well, we're going to keep going then. Mm-hmm. At 21 I have Excalibur.
0: At 21 I have Empire X-Men.
1: At 20 I have Inferno. At
0: 20 uh, uh Did I say 21? Did I say my 21?
1: Oh, my 21 was Excalibur. What was your 21? Oh,
0: Empire X-Men. Then my 20 was Inferno. Okay, my 20 was Devil's Reign X-Men.
1: My 19 is Devil's Reign X-Men.
0: All right, perfect. So this was a three-issue miniseries that came out as a tie-in to Devil's Reign, and just like Empire, it was, you know, kind of there. Uh, but it was by the cable team of Phil Noto and Jerry Duggan. And I really dug the Devil's Reign X-Men. It was an Emma, Emma Frost-focused mini. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was somewhat inconsequential, but it was also, you know, it had some of the politicking and, and interest. It felt kind of like a refining and continuation of, of Duggan's Marauders, uh, but without all the high seas adventure.
1: I thought it was a blast. Um... Something that Devil's Reign did so well that very few events uh, can get perfectly is the size and scope of it was very clear. You, and, the, it, and it was kind of subtle, right? It wasn't the bad guy taking over the world or building like a bubble around a city or something. It was just mm-hmm. like a city was getting shitty and a villainous leader was appointing villainous lackeys into positions of power. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and that, that slow like uh, turning up of the heat kind of conflict is like really hard to do in an event so seeing Emma Frost like politicking in the New York City local politics I thought was uh, such an interesting no, superhero comics really have that level of scope where it's like municipal yeah yeah um, I loved uh, you got to see Harry Leland go to the UN in my favorite scene with him and Emma uh, psychically teaming up <laughs> And, um, I, and I loved the vibe of how the politics of the city of New York would affect the United Nations. Oh yeah, which is a really interesting because like when I worked at Midtown Comics in New York City, I mm-hmm. uh, worked on the, the Lexington Avenue play, uh, location, which is right near the UN, uh-huh, in New York. And so you, I got to know a lot of uh, UN people, like uh, aides and ambassadors and stuff who were comic fans. And it was really interesting seeing how, like, you're here from the Philippines or you're here from Brazil, and now, you, like, you're living in New York City. I feel like everyone thinks about the UN as like their ambassadors; they are not they are not touched by the country they are visiting, but they are.
0: They and are. Here's a comic like that reflected us. that.
1: That's a, that's a
0: perspective I, w- I would not have had.
1: Yeah, and I love. Uh, I think there's a couple of more recent Marvel writers who have done really good New Yorks. Uh, Charles Soule is one of them. And um, mm. Jerry Duggan did a really good New York in that miniseries. Hmm.
0: Good to know. Uh, I guess he's he's kind of trying in, in the main X-Men book, but this was kind of where, where it hit a little better.
1: Yeah. the main, I mean, the main X-Men book has, like, a different scope, although I like uh, his New York history in that, too. That's and true. Phil, Phil Noto doing – what's so cool about Phil Noto is – He's a very dynamic artist, I think, and mm-hmm. um, but so he's so much better at drawing boring scenes than other artists. So he can draw <laughs> like a boardroom <laughs> meeting and really sell you on the drama of it because he has like the, that level of subtlety and he can do different shades of emotion. Yes. Uh, so having a book about high stakes meetings is not something that's usually visually dynamic, but Phil Noto crushed it. For sure. Fun miniseries. Fun, fun. What do you have at number 19? At number 19, I have Devil's Reign X-Men, but you're number oh, 19. right. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay.
0: Clearly, I'm paying attention. There are too many numbers here. Yeah. Uh, I have Cable.
1: Cable. Um, At number 18, I have Hellfire Gala. Oh. Uh, at 18, that's where I've got Juggernaut. Now, some may be surprising to you because we're going to stop and talk about it. Number 17 is where I have Marauders Volume 2 by Steve Orlando. Oh,
0: hmm. that's... I mean that's respectable. It's about halfway down up up the pack.
1: Yeah, right in the middle right now.
0: Yeah, so why don't why don't you lead it since you've got it higher up?
1: I know Steve Orlando is not always your favorite writer and I'm yeah. not like a huge Steve Orlando Stan, although I, I liked, uh, I liked Midnighter. I really liked his justice league. I thought that was fun. And, mm-hmm. um, so I, I like how he does superhero team books in general. I think he's got the dynamics of the team pretty down, but like, yeah, so far it's been Shiar stuff. And like, I could go take or leave most Shiar stuff. And it's really like formless. It does. It's the b- it's the Destiny of X book that has like the least sense of place.
0: Mm, for sure.
1: But I like his character dynamics a lot. I think the artwork is fun. I like them on a spaceship. I like the lineup. And um, I think he's really doing... Like if you're a fan... If In a couple of years, if you're a fan of Somnus or of um, Dokken, this is definitely going to be a book you're going to go back and read because everyone's coming across like with good characterization, I think.
0: Mm, yeah, I, I have it low... Mostly because I'm not, I'm not having fun with it. I, I want my space my space books more like Hickman's New Mutants, which I know you did not like. No, you're uh, incorrect. I love that. Oh, no, you, you like it was the Brisson stuff that you were...
1: I can you take your lead the Brisson stuff. On that.
0: But yeah, I really like that, the way he was handling it, and this kind of feels like low-rent that arc. Mm-hmm. Like, beat for beat, different characters, but it really does feel like... Uh, it's slower paced the i the dialogue isn't as sharp and i'm just not into what's going on like i kind of care about the shiar stuff but it feels like another one of those all right we're getting some mysterious you know backstory and i just want brimstone love to come back
1: but then as i'm thinking about i'm like oh but cassandra nova's there and like he's doing amazing character work with her i think
0: I also, I think it it doesn't help that the art, the art too, is a little not quite my taste. Uh, it's it's got the,
1: it's very anime to me, but like soft, like chibi anime almost. Yeah. Um, that's not usually my thing either, but I, I really liked how he drew the spaceships and stuff. Mm. Um, and like, Somnus is cool. <laughs> Somnus is cool. I hope we get more Somnus. Yeah. Middle of the pack for me. I'm not going to stand it completely. Yeah. What was your number 17? The other Marauders. Uh, Alrighty. That's good. much higher on my list, but we've talked about that quite a bit. Oh, yeah. uh, my number 16 is a book in the middle of rereading right now, actually, and that is X of Swords. Oh, uh, this is where I have Excalibur. Interesting. I had Excalibur, but much lower down. Yeah. 15 is where I have X-Men Volume 6 by Jerry Duggan, the current volume. Well, we'll get to that later,
0: because I've got uh, the Hellfire Gala at number 15,
1: Alright, alright, alright. At number 14, I have my lowest, oh no, the lowest ranked of the new series was Marauders, but my next one is uh, Knights of X at number 14.
0: Wow, you've got a lot of these series much higher up than I do. I think I've got like half of the new series below the midway point, uh-huh. but we're going to be talking about X-Men, because this is where I have X-Men by Jerry Duggan
1: at number 14. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. I um, I really, when I think about that series, I really like it, but um, does it feel disconnected from the rest of the series to you? It does. I think, and I'm looking at the series that I have above it, and
0: I really think that it's good, but it's not great. It's not blowing me away. It's not kind of capitalizing on the prestige as the flagship book that it should be. Instead, it kind of feels like he's doing what he was doing on Marauders, but on land.
1: Yeah, just...
0: um, I like the Captain Krakoa stuff. Like, all of the... There are a bunch of different fun threads, and I like that he picks up and puts down them as they're you're going, and it doesn't feel like he, you're forgetting about them. Uh, it's that they're developing. But, yeah, it feels kind of unfocused at the same time. It's always
1: <sighs> a... I feel like it's always nighttime, and they're always fighting, like, a gigantic villain that's connected to the rest of the Marvel Universe.
0: Yeah. They're doing uh, they're doing Scary Modoc too.
1: I like the Scary Modoc actually. I, I like Scary yeah. Modoc. Here's the thing: is yeah, if I think back, I thought the the Ben Uric story where uh, Cyclops had him brain wiped was really a good story and scary.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't the Cyclops didn't have him brain wiped. Someone else brain wiped him for Cyclops, and then Cyclops found out and was like, "Dude."
1: And that right there, how you had to uh, explain the nuance of the story is like good soap opera stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 and him being dead to the world because he was too he was killed too publicly. So they had to introduce Captain Krakoa. I love that.
1: Yeah, that's been yeah, all the pieces I like. I just um, it's not people are I guess what I'm trying to I guess my thoughts are people are having like fun moments like uh, what like Polaris was like puppeting Laura when she got knocked out one. So you think her metal <laughs> powers, right? Yeah. And that was super cool, but, like, I don't feel like I um, understand uh, Lorna's interiority any better from that mm. happening.
0: The, it's doing superhero stuff, but on a surface level.
1: Yeah, and and it's, like, epic, really cool, bombastic superhero stuff. Like, uh, I think Duggan's got a wild imagination, and he's putting it to use here. But uh, it's not doing the kind of character work that I would want to get. Like, that's what I think uh, Orlando is doing well, and this book is not. Mm. Like uh there's not a scene where two, uh, sync gets the best, but like uh, yeah, a rogue. I don't really know how rogue feels about being on the X Men. Besides, like a duty, stoically.
0: Mm. Yeah, stoic
1: stoicism's yeah that tracks. So that was your number fourteen. That was my number fourteen. Yes. So my number thirteen, we're on. Mm-hmm. My number thirteen, we're talking about it is Legion of X.
0: Ooh, that's a that's. A huge disparity! Oh my you god! You
1: loathe this book. You loathe it.
0: <laughs> oh my god! Legion of X. I wanted to like it so much. Well, walk me I through want I want to like it so
1: much. I, I, you texted me that you hated this, but I don't know anything, any details. So she surprised me on air.
0: Okay. You'll notice it's not all the way at the bottom on my list. It was number thirty, as opposed mm-hmm. to thirty-three. X Corp. X Corp is right below it. That that book is soured in my mind, but. I think part of the problem with Legion of X is I don't find Cy Spurrier's Legion interesting, and that was the focus in this. And Nightcrawler is doing stuff, but he see- he feels peripheral to the central action of the book so far. What I wanted and what we started to get from Way of X has been thrown so far out the window that I think there's just residual bad energy on this book. Made more sour by me not liking Legion, not liking the way he writes Legion. um, And it still just feels too smug. The book feels still too smug. And it's not trying to make the same kind of grand proclamations, but I don't know. I guess my comparison is when he wrote John Constantine Hellblazer, Cy Spurrier.
1: One of your favorite comics. One of, yeah.
0: It felt raw and it felt... You know, gra- interesting, and the smugness was the point. Like Constantine is a smug character, and I guess Legion is supposed to be smug, but it just doesn't work in the same way. I can't tell why. Seisbury is such a such a hot and cold art writer for me. Sometimes I love his work, and he could do the same thing in another book, and I think it's trash.
1: I can defend it. I can tell you why I have it as high as I do because there is something I think he's doing uniquely well.
0: Mm-hmm. Go for it.
1: But before that, I want to agree with you that um, there is a smug tone to it. His Legion comes across as smug, although I'm kind of digging that characterization here. Mm-hmm. In Way of X, I felt like the sci-fi ideas were really edgelordy, where he was like, have you ever thought about this? And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, I have. It's normal. Chill out. Okay. But what I really like in Legion of X, and I realized he was doing this pretty well in Way of X, Legion is better— A lot of other writers will have a character like zip through the scene, like a really background character. Mm -hmm. But Legion of X is the book that's making me feel like Krakoa is a place. And every time we check in with a character, I feel like I know what they're up to. And he gets Mm -hmm. like what are the real things that people do that makes them people, not what these superhero characters do that's like their superpower gimmick. Mm Mm-hmm. So like, um, there was a weird thread throughout uh, Way of X, which is kind of simmering in the background of Legion. Of like, there's a bunch of those Academy X girls, and they're all making out with each other and getting into drama. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Those girls living on S- S- Fuck Island are gonna like get exp- experiment with each other. <laughs> they're gonna show that in the <laughs> comic. That's what they're up to. But then also we saw in Legion um, the hilarious duo of Juggernaut and Forget Me Not. <laughs> Mm -hmm. have you already forgotten forget me not
0: uh no i remember forget me not that's his power
1: that's his power you see
0: is that uh if you look away from him you forget him for a second i was like who's forget me not and then i went (laughs) oh wait now i remember his power is that i'm not supposed to remember him
1: yeah but the two of them are doing what i always wanted wolverine what i want the wolverine book to be which is like they're the the sheriffs that you call when someone's getting too rowdy or whatever uh-huh and uh, so the and where that's happening is the green lagoon where there's like alcohol and simmering feelings all the time <laughs> and immediately i'm like all right so that's part of like krakow culture is there's this one bar in on the island where everyone comes to drink in peace and then they're always bumping into their worst nemesis there because that's how Krakoa works and uh-huh. getting into it until juggernaut's like all right cool down and it's this little stuff like that that makes it feel like they have lives. Like, that's their job, and that's how they do it, and not just powers. Mm-hmm. But that's not what Legion of X is about. It's just, like, what it's providing to mm-hmm. me that no one else is getting as good, I think.
0: Gotcha. Well, uh, You have not convinced me yet. <laughs> I'm going to give it a couple more issues before I, I firmly bring down the hammer of this is bad and I hate it. Uh, and I'm hoping that I will not have to do that on Legion of X. Because I do think that it has the potential to be a much better series than I think it is right now.
1: Yeah, it, it's, uh, it hasn't really... I did, uh, my theme in this episode, it hasn't really laid out its mission statement of why what it is. Except yeah. that Legion is there and, I don't know, he's made like a, a rec room in his mind for people who just can't be perceived right now. <laughs> Which is like pretty queer. I'm into it. Yeah? Is that number 13? Yeah, my number 13 is Knights of X. All right. So pretty close where I had it.
0: So I get, yeah, I'll go. As we said before, it's just, it's felt a lot more focused than Excalibur. And I really like it for that. And I really liked Excalibur. So Knights of X is sitting up here uh, fairly high, not super high, but it's, it feels more consequential and focused than Duggan's X-Men, which is why it's. Well, above it. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm like, what What else do I have to say about this book other than, than that? And that's it. That really is. It's just doing what Excalibur did well, and it did, it's doing it a little bit more focused.
1: Yeah, well, there's a quest now. There's, like, one quest... I feel like uh, what was kind of irritating about Excalibur is something that you um, complimented uh, Duggan's X-Men for mm-hmm. uh, is Excalibur was like juggling all these plates and how all these threads it was pulling through. Only I don't think that it did a very good job of reminding you or like keeping like stuff would disappear for a while and then kind of fizzle out or just be mentioned in passing. Yeah. And Knights of X feels like it's now landing every single one of those setups. It's, it's the punchline to, 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 um, to Excalibur. Like mm-hmm. like we're seeing the different kingdoms of Otherworld. Um and like we kept on like Mad Jim Jaspers was invoked a lot, but he wasn't a character in Excalibur that I I don't think he did said anything. <laughs> and the dynamics of like Merlin be, and King Arthur being like the ultimate villains of Otherworld and Mordred being like a magical mutant guy, that this is all like this this feels consequential and cool and world building and like it's going somewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm
0: I'm just really excited for it. <laughs> I'm real. I'm excited for Knights of X. Not like in a huge way, but in in the way that I'm, I'm glad we're getting back to where to where we kind of were.
1: Yeah, and it's fun having like uh, Betsy Braddock and Gambit and Shatterstar. I mean, like make a D and D party. <laughs> Gambit's great in d and D party. He's like the best rogue in the Marvel universe, and he's married to a literally rogue. You sure she's not the best rogue? Shh. Mm. I feel like Rogue is, uh, plays a barbarian. No, Rogue <laughs> plays a sorcerer. Rogue plays a sorcerer. Uh, that's fair enough. If you ask me what X-Men character plays what D&D class, ladies and gentlemen, I will answer on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm trying not to ask anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep going.
0: What do you have at number 12?
1: At number 12, I have X-Factor.
0: Oh, I have Ten of Swords.
1: At number 11, I have Cable.
0: Ooh, this is where I have Trial of Magneto. Uh, well, number 10 is where I have Trial of Magneto. And number 10 is where I have X-Factor.
1: Uh, 9 is where I have, and now these, I mean, top 10 is, like, all high-fiving a million angels. These books rule. Yeah. Uh, so number 9 is Sword. Ooh, number 9 is New Mutants. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, number 8 for me is X-Men Volume 5 by Jonathan Hickman. Oh. Oh. It hurts. Top 10. There's no making that noise for the top 10.
0: Yeah, yeah. just <sighs> short. Sure. Uh, at number eight, I have Sabretooth.
1: At number seven, I have Sabretooth.
0: All right. Let's talk about it. i I want to go first just because Sabretooth, as a character, I don't know much of outside of he was thrown in the pit, and he has done some pretty horrible things in comics that apparently sometimes gets completely overlooked and sometimes they like tiptoe around but basically Sabretooth is the king of hell and Victor Laval is crushing it on this series as like a commentary on uh, the carceral system and it being also just this really good sci-fi book and you know I don't really know a lot of these, these characters that have been put in the pit. I They're know. Other very people obscure. Have, yeah. But kind of them all trying to work together to figure out like how did they get here? Why were they here? We we know but everyone's kind of holding secrets back. Uh, it's like a good mystery novel. I love it.
1: Yeah, I, Victor Lavelle is one of those authors that people keep telling me I need to read and I keep on meaning to. I've got one of his books by my bedside. I just, like, haven't started it yet. Um, and so the Sabretooth comics, the first thing by him I've ever read. And oh, it, wow. it rules. It's so good. I echo all of your sentiments. I do know a couple of those characters. Um, specifically, I want to mention that Oya is probably there because um, she's kind of into murder. <laughs> She, like, uh, she will murder somebody if she thinks they are deserving. That's where she stands on that superhero uh, ethical issue. Okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming something like that is what got her uh, thrown in. And um, Box, Madison Jeffries, just okay. like is really horny for software. He wants to have sex with computer software. <laughs> Probably they put him in jail for just being such a gross deviant because that's Madison Jeffries. He just like shows up and you're like, ugh, dude. <laughs>
0: the they i think it was issue two where they did a flashback and they said which law they broke but they didn't say why yeah so he was probably throwing in for respect this sacred land
1: or something like that he or, or make more mutants he like broke the laws of nature in some oh. obscene way that's this is my care this is my take on Madison jeffries uh focusing on a couple of his appearances specifically one of which is written by Spur- cy spurrier hmm. um in x club really good miniseries what I like about the Sabretooth series, I guess, is that Lavelle has boiled all his characters down to like what they thematically represent in the story. Mm-hmm. And so Sabretooth, he's been retconned back and forth a billion times, like you said, but he represents the idea of an unrepentant criminal. Somebody who kills without mercy or regret. Mm-hmm. Every single one of those other people believes in something else and might feel sorry for doing a crime, but not Sabretooth. And it's like asking if prison is even worth it to keep that guy locked up. Um, or if by locking him up, you're like already damaging the society. Yeah. Great stuff.
0: Yeah, great stuff. So,
1: number seven. Uh, my number seven is Sabertooth. You're number seven. Oh, right, 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 right. My number seven is Inferno. Uh, my number six, and we're going to talk about it now, is New Mutants. Hey... New Mutants, I'm really hot and cold on, obviously, because it's the book that has been most like a traditional comics ongoing where, like, stuff changes, but the numbering doesn't.
0: Yep. I hope it stays that way.
1: I hope it stays that way, too. I love that that identity for it. Mm hmm. I just wanted to say that, in the, it like, it, that makes it very hard to rank because it's usually based on how enthusiastic I am for it this month. Mm hmm. And this month, uh, it's all about uh, magic and uh, Madeline Pryor. So it's like my favorite thing in the freaking world because it's witch girls. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, I think it's really washing out positively. There have been so many memorable uh, New Mutant stories that have had so little to do with each other, but I remember them so vividly. Like, uh, the kids messing around with Resurrection and Gabby Kinney getting killed by the Shadow King. Yeah. And then the Shadow King's redemption. Danny Moonstar and uh, Karma fighting in the Crucible, right? Just like, oh my god, these killer moments.
0: Yeah. New Mutants under Ayala's pen... uh and, well, Rod Reese has really been the through line of this whole series. I was just um, about to say to that. Finish.
1: Rod Reese is uh, my favorite comic artist working right now. And, like, when I see his artwork, it puts me in the state of transcendence that few other <laughs> artists can send me into.
0: I feel like New Mutants is. When when Ayala came on and Reese, you know, and they, they paired up, it kind of felt like the transition between maybe not as like jarring, but of Kupenberger to I think that's who it was to Morrison on Doom Patrol or like any of those where there's 20 issues of, you know, good and bad on and off. And then a creative team comes in and like suddenly the vibe of the book changes and it's you can feel it, you can see it. Uh, and that's what this the book has been. And I feel like it just did the thing again, even though it was with the same creative team when now that we're starting a new arc.
1: Yeah, well I think that anthology feeling like, is also going to continue. And if you want a strong X Men example of the principle you're talking about, look no farther than the original X Factor series, which started off as like a Claremont thing about bringing the O5 back together, and then mm-hmm. Louis Simonson turned it into like wacky groovy shit. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) what's your number six
0: sword
1: my number five is and again these are all winners is immortal x-men
0: Ooh, we'll talk about that later because at number five i
1: have x-men red okay okay we'll talk about that later at number four i have hellions yeah oh wow we finally have a match Is that
0: the only match? I think it's the only one that's been at the same position other than Fallen Angels.
1: Yeah. And since Fallen Angels. Yeah. Hellions. What a good book. Yeah. My number three, I have Marauders Volume 1 by Jerry Duggan. Hmm. Okay.
0: At number three, I have Immortal X-Men.
1: I guess we're talking about it.
0: Yeah. So it has not broken into the top two. Top two have been pretty hegemonic for most of this uh, for me. But uh, Immortal X-Men has just been hitting it out of the park, can do no wrong. I say that and then it's going to release an issue that I absolutely hate. It won't. I've jinxed it.
1: Nope, I'm so confident in that book.
0: Uh, I'll take your word for it and I'll yell at you if it turns out uh, to be wrong. (laughs) But it's just doing everything I wanted it to do and it has become the de facto central book of the new era and I kind of feel bad for everyone who came over from the previous set. Um, I'm still waiting for Leah Williams to do another series, but you know, it's coming, it's coming. but right now for my money of all of the new ones, immortal X-Men has, has cemented itself as my favorite just because it's doing so many things. And it's it feels like the successor to, to Hickman's X-Men stuff.
1: Yeah, what I think is so funny is, so Kieran gillen wrote x been about 10 years ago, in an era that I don't think is well-remembered, although I think people revisiting those comics are finding good stuff because they're good. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are drawn by Greg Land, for better and for worse.
0: Uh, worse. For worse. Yeah. Just flat across the board.
1: But a lot of the stuff that's been happening in Krakoa has been based on strong characterizations that Kieran Gillen did 10 years before. Mm-hmm. So it's very funny that he's coming in like Hickman's Sinister was the voice that Kieran Gillen used for Sinister, and really no one had used before. Okay. And now Kieran Gillen's coming back in, and he's doing like Hickman's voice for Sinister because Sinister has had so many such a great couple of years in the new era. Oh yeah, for sure. But but so right, it's this weird. It's been refined through all these other writers. We're picking up on mannerisms for that character, and then when Kieran Gillen comes back to it, it's like a virtuoso symphony, right?
0: Mm-hmm. he's yeah. also
1: uh, he's very formal he, he likes uh, having a structure on his stories and every one of these issues is going to be a different narrator
0: <laughs>
1: Wait, and you're laughing because each of those issues are so good at capturing those characters voices like I doubt you had any affection for Hope Summers but you read that issue number two right I did. And, like, do you feel, like, uh, a little bit more of a connection to the character or, like, whatever?
0: No, I feel a, a much better connection to the character. And getting that, like, one-issue look in was exactly what I th- what we needed. Uh, and I did not, like, I have a different look on who Hope is now than I did before. Like, she is a different character to me because of the, the way that uh, Gillen wrote her, even if it's not necessarily true. But there's a bit more of, like, like a, there's a, hard, a harder edge to her uh, her morality. It's not a paragon in the same way, like, you know, a pillar of, of whatever. Like, she she could go, be on X-Force and be a much more interesting character. Like, she sits in that gray area in, in terms of the way she thinks. And I really like that.
1: Well, and because she was raised by Cable, so she has a lot of his sensibilities. Mm-hmm. But as a teen girl, and somehow he's writing this, like, really uh, honestly, and it doesn't feel like uh, a cartoon. It feels like a real kid. (laughs) Who also seems, like, wise beyond her years because she's seen some shit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then just, like, there's going to be an issue from the perspective of Exodus. Who the fuck knows what Exodus is about? That guy's such a cipher to me. Oh, (laughs) And, like, what does Exodus do when he's not going to uh, government meetings or sitting in the woods telling ghost stories to passing children? Like, what does that guy do for fun? Is that it? I guess we'll find out, maybe. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So just, like, uh, extraordinary character work. And this was such a book that uh, we needed because when Hickman wrote the political stuff, that was some of the most exciting shit in that X-Men series. Mm -hmm. And so having an entire book just focusing on that element of things is, like, wonderful. (laughs) I also want to say that there's a really great issue of the wicked and the divine. I wish I had looked it up before this. I think it's like 33 or thereabouts we are written by Karen mm-hmm. Gillen and uh, drawn by Jamie McKelvey and Matt Wilson. Mm-hmm. And most of it is just that the, all the characters are at a big round table, having a debate about what to do next. And okay. all of the framing from immortal X-Men with those big uh, panel grids with lots of faces on them are lifted right out of that issue. It's the exact same script, uh, the format for the script. And that issue is very exciting. It's got these dramatic, like, he does, there's, like, camera work on, like, zooming in on faces and stuff. Uh-huh. And that's the playbook that that he's using for the scripts for Immortal X-Men because there's so much sitting at a big round table yelling about stuff.
0: Yeah, which could be boring, but he makes it look effortless.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, him
0: and Lucas Wernick, obviously.
1: Yeah, who I also is crushing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely crushing it. So, what's your number two? I think I know what it is.
1: My number two, I think you're right, and we're going to talk about it, is X-Men Red.
0: Yep. All right. So why is it number two?
1: X-Men Red is almost as exciting as Hox to me. I think it's like a phenomenal achievement of comic book storytelling. Mm -hmm. It does a lot of stuff that well that the other books uh, we've talked about have been doing. Uh, Good characterization, especially giving characters like a sense of interiority. Um, Mm -hmm. And another thing it's doing well is world building. In this case, all of... (laughs) <laughs> Mars, which is now a homogenizing society, mostly of Iraqi mutants who have lived in a demon dimension for 5,000 years of history. But then also like other alien races are coming into trade. So you're getting like immigrants and there's Earth humans and mutants who are making their way through the cities too. So all of these cultures are coming in in this like melting pot. And it's being overseen by, um, on one end of things, Aurora Monroe, the queen regent of Arako and the uh, solar system. Mm-hmm. And, um, she's trying to, and she's been in this position a lot of times in her character's history. She uh, was the queen of the marauders at one point. I feel like she's always getting, um, and queen of Wakanda made, uh, the queen of a people who are not her own. And, and she's great at it. She's like really a great listener. And she like puts a lot of effort into going out and hearing many perspectives and not like looking at a group like a monolith. And then she's contrasted with Abigail Brand, who is uh, this, like, colonistic, racist, imperialist who uh, condescends to the Iraqi people and wants to, like, control them with force.
0: Yeah, Abigail Brand's not, not a great person.
1: But like thematically that's so rich. And that description I gave you with is like is so crazy that and that he's making it feel like a, a real culture and society where like you feel the five thousand years of history with the Iraqi and how that's jiving with like some Shiar who are landed there. For sure. It's incredible. No comic is doing as much so well.
0: True. Yeah. I it's gonna be weird that I have X-Men read so far down well, so far down. Number five. On my list, um, when you, when you've got it so high, because I I agree with everything that you're saying. I think it's an amazing book, and I don't I don't I can't tell you why I put it below Immortal X Men. Um, I can tell you why I put it below Aliens, he- he- just because that book's silver re- You know, it's still sitting in my brain uh, and it's still being doing having done so well. Totally, um, and. I, want, I keep wanting to, to it to follow up on, on stuff. I, th- I think X-Men Red is probably going to surpass it by the next issue. Because oh, yeah. It's, yeah.
1: You got the Fisher King, and he's a really fascinating character who we're slowly peeling back the layers of.
0: Yeah, there's there's long-term potential in X-Men Red, but it's also nailing the short term without sacrificing character or like the stuff that was being set up in SWORD and, and these other books and, and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, but it's all paying off. So it's again, it's they've set up and payoff. Like when when I saw Tarn the Uncaring, I gasped. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, that guy's so scary!" He uh, defeated my Hellions. Mm-hmm. What is your number two? Oh, I know what your number two is. We've talked about all the new books because your number two is Hickman X Men.
0: Yep, and then our number ones are House of X Powers of Ten.
1: I went back and reread that, and that comic is like it reads like a novel to me. It's incredible. I, I study every page.
0: <laughs> I, you know, I haven't read it through and through since the the issues came out. But now that I have, I recently purchased a new tablet. So now the pages are actually the size of a comic page, except when I do a double page spread. But I can fix that. So Incredible. I'm excited. I'm happy for you. That was a lot of X-Men. That was a lot of X-Men. I'm glad that we only really talked about the new books. <laughs> of course, yeah,
1: and this is how we're gonna do it uh, moving forward. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we'll pr- like we'll probably talk about if a book ends. Um, we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, you know, maybe once more. But like next time, we probably won't deliberate whether X lives and deaths or uh, a devil's reign moves unless it moves a lot. And we want to be like, well, why did this jump in your estimation? That kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, we I, we will be tracking that over the months and getting back to you, the listener. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know if there are going to be any new
0: series by the time we do this next time. Oh, no, Judgment Day.
1: Judgment Day and uh, perhaps the beginning of Leah Williams' uh, X Men series. Oh, yeah. I'm sure to remember what it's called, which is called Exterminators. Oh, Yeah.
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah. So by the time this this next one comes out, it'll probably be what October. We'll probably record it in September. Sounds about right. I, sounds about right. It'll be once Judgment Day wraps up for sure. Yeah, I think I mean, that's we'll a long ways that.
1: away. But in the in the shorter term, uh, there's something that listeners can do to uh, keep up with the show as well.
0: Yes. Well, next time we are going to be starting another two parter as we kind of work our way towards a hundred episodes.
1: Oh my Which is. Goodness.
0: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, but next time we are going to be revisiting. We are going to be revisiting the seminal work of the mid 2010s, Hawkeye by Fraction and Aha. Um, We are going to be reading the first half, which is issues 1 through 11, Uh, and then the next time we're going to be reading issues 12 through 22, as well as annual number 1. The series gets a little weird in terms of how you're reading it. If you're reading in single issues, you're going to have a very different reading experience than if you're reading in The Trade, which you will have a very different reading experience than if you're reading in The Omnibus.
1: Yeah, and we'll definitely talk about that because we love those little differences here on this show.
0: Don't worry about whatever order. We're reading issues one through 11 this time and then next time or, you know, next episode and then the episode after that, 12 to 22 and annual number one in whatever order you want, because really this is one of those series is that a lot of the weirdness of the orders can be doesn't really matter which one uh, and whatever. But until then, Jaina, where can they find you on the larger interwebs?
1: You can find me most recently on multiverticitycomics.com, which is a pretty great website where I write about X-Men, and I also write about um, Attack on Titan more recently. And, like, I should write about wrestling. I got a lot of wrestling thoughts. And I will be uh, reviewing some comics, so if you go there, too, you can also find me on comicbookherald.com and on Twitter at rambling underscore moose. What about you, Elias? Where can folks find you?
0: They can find me on Twitter at quetzelish, that's Q U E T Z E L I S. I um, I don't really have much, of anything pithy today, <laughs> about that. Sadly, um, go follow me there. I'm gonna be trying to do slightly more tweeting, but I can't promise much. But definitely follow me there. You'll, I will be reblogging my or retweeting my my posts as much as I can to so spread the word. Please, please, please read my stuff.
1: <laughs> please read and listen and like and subscribe, and we will see you next time.
0: Excelsior.